Hi, everybody. This is Gatsad. I thought that I would spend a few minutes uh, telling you about the conference I attended last week uh, at Stanford University, a two-day conference on academic freedom. I uh, spoke at the conference and I was part of a one-hour uh, panel session. So I suppose the first thing that's worth noting is that uh, as soon as I got to the conference, there was a lot of security. There were uh, what looked like private security, making sure that the people who uh, were going in were on the list. There appeared to be, I think, Stanford University campus police, and there was also uh, some folks, you know, from you know from the sheriff's department. And so the first thing I think that's worth mentioning is that it's quite telling that you would need so much security for a two-day conference at Stanford University in the 21st century where the professors are going to be talking about the importance of academic freedom. And of course, these professors really do, uh, you know, cover the whole gamut of, you know, political uh, orientations. So it's not as though everybody w were a conservative, not, not that there'd be anything wrong with that, but, you know, it was hardly, you know, people of one political ilk. And yet there needed to be all this security. So that's number one. Number two, I was uh, delighted to meet some people that I knew, others that I met at the conference, all of whom were very complimentary and appreciative of my work. And of course, that makes one uh, feel good. And then thirdly, uh, I thought I would just mention a few comments about uh, some of the the, the most memorable uh talks uh, that I uh, remember. There were many, many, uh, you know, very high profile and accomplished professors there. You know, Steven Pinker spoke, uh, Jonathan Haidt spoke uh, via Zoom. Many people uh, have since told me that they disagreed with his key premise, that being that he's arguing that around 2004, 2000, 2014, 2015 is when, you know, everything went for the worse. Uh, because uh, of, you know, a epidemic of anxiety uh, amongst students and that it was all, you know, all the lunacy was shaped by students around 2014, 2015. And the people that I was sitting at at my table uh, looked at me and smiled and one of whom said, um, well, I guess he hasn't read your book. And of course, what he's referring to is the fact that in the parasitic mind, I basically explain how it is specific idea pathogens that have laid the ground for the lunacy that we see. And many of these idea pathogens are hardly five and six years old. Some of them are 70, 80, 90 years old. Others are, you know, 30, 40 years old uh, in terms of when they were spawned on university campuses. So this is hardly something that just started. Uh, and so uh, that notwithstanding, it was... Uh, you know, nice to see him speaking there, uh, even though it was remotely. Uh, there were all sorts of other uh, high-profile pe people. Jerry Coyne, who's now Professor Emeritus uh, of uh, Biology, was there. And, and by the way, many of the people at the conference have all been guests on my show. There was Dorian Abbott, who uh, is the professor who was uh, uh, the platform at MIT, because he had taken some positions that were deemed, you know, inappropriate positions that had nothing to do with his science. Uh, 
in any case, there were all kinds of really cool people. But what I wanted to do is spend a few minutes talking about, oh, Peter Thiel was also there. Greg Lukianoff was there, who he's the you know president of uh, FIRE Foundation and Individual Rights and, and Education. Uh, Lee Jussum was there. Uh, so again, a whole bunch of very interesting people. Niall, Neil Ferguson was there. But the probably the three people that I thought were most memorable. Oh, again, I just, because I'm kind of scrolling through all the names. Uh, Douglas Murray and Jordan Peterson held a chat. Jordan was there in person. Douglas was via Zoom. Uh, on, in one of the sessions on academic freedom applications, climate science, and biomedical sciences, uh, Bjorn Lomberg was part of that panel. He's the gentleman, Danish gentleman, who... Uh, doesn't deny that climate change is happening, but questions, you know, the the cost-benefit analysis of how much we should be spending to deal with a particular issue, which is a perfectly reasonable and fair and measured position to take. But the two other guys in that session that I thought were just uh, fantastic were uh, Jay Bhattacharya, who is a professor of uh, medicine at Stanford, and him and I have been communicating. He, he was supposed to come on my show a while ago, and then finally, now we've penciled it in for this Friday. He's one of the three professors who uh, created a declaration, you know, questioning many of the COVID policies. This is not some quack. This is right. This is not a Q, QAnon guy. It's an incredibly accomplished. Uh, uh, he's an incredibly accomplished professor of medicine, MD and PhD. And again, I don't like to, you know, use credentials and which school you come from. I only mention it. Because, you know, many people say, oh, you know, this, oh, this guy is a quack. You know, this guy is, a, you know, he doesn't have the credentials. Well, he's a professor of medicine at Stanford. I think he's got the credentials. And uh, what I loved about him on a personal level is he had a very, uh, uh, very tempered style of presenting whereby he, you know, he's, he's clear in his positions, but he does it in a, in a very nice personal style. This is to be contrasted with uh, another, the, the gentleman who followed him right after, also a professor of medicine, and I, apparently he's the most cited professor in medicine, John Ioannidis. He's much more of a firecracker. I mean, I mean, very proper, very professorial, but, you know, a lot more passion. Uh, and I thought he was uh, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, and I mean, for anybody who wants to question credentials, go do a Google a, a Scholar search on John Ioannidis, I-O-A-N-N-I-D-I-S, who also is someone who has questioned some of the COVID stuff, also professor at uh, Stanford University in me uh, of Medicine, and, and actually, I think maybe even biostatistics. And then the third gentleman who I remembered, uh, you know, was memorable was Scott Atlas, uh, with whom I had a, a a short but you know powerful conversation where you know we were talking about some of the the hate that he's received, and his uh, lecture was you know very impassioned, and I can understand why because he's really been put through the ringer not only because of the positions that he's taken regarding COVID and by the way he's also if what you care about are credentials he's an MD. He's a Hoover Institution fellow at Stanford. So again, these are three guys that, you know, you, you certainly could not be arguing about their credentials and their expertise and so on. And yet perfectly reasonable people can disagree about 
particular positions. But remember, it was misinformation and disinformation and wrong. And, you know, grandma's going to be killed if anybody questioned COVID. In a free society, no such thing can take place. I mean, that's the whole point of the conference. But by the way, let me just finish one point about Scott Atlas. Uh, you know, not only I think he was fiery because of what he was put through in terms of the, the hate he received because of his COVID positions. But then he did the unthinkable. He did the thing that, you know, no, you know, clear thinking, fair human being should ever do. And that is to accept the call to serve the nation when President Orange Himmler, a.k.a. Donald Trump, asked him to come to the White House and serve as an advisor, you know, on, on, on the COVID matter. And the fact that he accepted that was, you know, caused all kinds of strife. Uh, and I was just so impressed with his, uh, you know, dignity, his personhood. He stood there, a real honey badger. So whether it be Jay or John or Scott, three guys that really uh, uh, had my attention precisely because I'm someone who highly respects non-fence-sitters, who highly respects people who say, I don't go with the crowd. I have a set of things that I'd like to say. I don't care what the repercussions are. I'm going to speak what I consider to be the truth. That's the hallmark of a real intellectual, of a real professor. And so for that, whether you agree with their positions or not, uh, it's very befitting uh, for an academic freedom conference to have such people. Uh, my talk, I think, will be up uh, at some point soon. Uh, so, you, I mean, the whole conference was streamed, but it should be uh, also, it, it was taped and the videos will be released. I hope that you'll watch it and enjoy it. It was, it was very well received. Uh, I talked about several things, but one thing that I want to mention here, this is a quote. I, I, I released actually a sad truth clip on this quote from JBS Haldane, who's an evolutionary, was an evolutionary geneticist. Uh, and I had released the sad truth clip to point to the fact that this quote is my favorite quote of a scientist but of all time, by a scientist of, of all time, precisely because it so well captures the zeitgeist in academia where people first response very, respond very harshly to a new idea. And then as new evidence comes in, they soften their position to finally accept it. And it perfectly captures my own academic career. So I always joke that if I were to write an autobiography of my scientific career, I would just have to quote the following quote right here, which by the way, I use in The Consuming Instinct, my 2011 book uh, at the start of, uh, I think it was the ending chapter. So J.B.S. Haldane basically argued there are the four stages of acceptance that academics go through before they accept an idea. Stage one, this is worthless nonsense. Stage two, this is an interesting but perverse point of view. Stage three, this is true but quite unimportant. And stage four, I always said so. Now, why did I use this quote in uh, my talk at Stanford? Because you can't go through these four stages of cognitive acceptance if you're not allowed to have freedom of inquiry in order to convince people of the veracity of your position so that you could move them from stage one to stage four. If if someone had said, Professor Saad, you can't do research on sex differences because that's forbidden knowledge. Or you can't do research on applying evolutionary psychology because that's Nazi science, that's quack science, it's pseudoscience. 
which of course it's none of those things. There is no other game in town other than applying the evolutionary lens to study uh, human behavior. That you know, what other op option is there, right? I mean, our minds did not come out of thin air. Uh, they are our minds are the product of sexual and natural selection. But in any case, uh, the reason why that quote is so powerful in my own career is because, as I uh, often remark to people when I talk about this quote. I happen to be an email hoarder, meaning that I I retain endless emails from many years ago. Well, I have electronic proof of countless people that have communicated with me. You know, now don't forget my career now is almost 30 years old. I've been a professor since 1994 and people who had written to me in one form or another uh, via email who were in stage one, come on. What are you doing with this evolutionary psychology of the business school? It's bullshit. It's, it's bullshit. Well, okay, maybe it's perverse. Well, yeah, maybe it's true, but how do you apply this in a practical setting? Exactly each of the four stages. And then, of course, oh, I've always been such a gigantic fan of yours, Dr. Saad. I love your work. Will you come to fill-in-the-blank prestigious university and speak to us? But I thought I was a bullshitter. I thought I was at stage one. Garbage. Well, I say this not to be gleeful, but to say that, to remind people that science is an autocorrective process. The means by which we adjudicate the veracity of a, of a theory, of a, of a positive hypothesis, is to put it to the test. If you say that there are certain things that can't be tested, certain things that can't be uttered, certain positions that can't be taken, then you are literally violating the most fundamental tenet, not only of a free mind, of a free society, but of the scientific method. And so guys like Jay, John, and Scott uh, are probably the, the most memorable of all of the illustrious people who were at Stanford precisely because they exemplify that instinct, which is, no, nothing is settled science. No, there is no revealed truth. Everything is up for debate scrutiny, mockery, discussion, and on and on. That's what I explain in The Parasitic Mind. So overall, I, I walked away from the conference feeling invigorated, feeling good, feeling that they, you know, there's a critical mass of professors that are starting to recognize that this can't go on. Uh, we need to return to the deontological uh, principles that that define what it is to be an academic. And incidentally, that was you know, the, one of the key takeaways from my talk. The title of my talk was The Deontological Pursuit of Truth. Again, if you remember from The Parasitic Mind, I explained the difference between deontolo deontology and consequentialism. The idea is that there are absolute principles by which we have to abide by. And when it comes to the scientific method, there are such principles, one of which is nothing is settled Nothing is sacrosanct. Nothing is above and beyond scrutiny. It should be obvious to any reasonable scientist and academic and scholar in the 21st century, but apparently it isn't so much so that we have to hold a two-day conference to remind the world of the importance of these principles. Have a good day, everybody. If you appreciate uh, my efforts, please consider supporting uh, me in any way that you can share the clips subscribe to the channel i have several donation portals where you can uh, provide some uh, support 
So there are many, many ways that you can uh, help out. You can post comments uh, and so on. Take care, everybody. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers.